Hello, and welcome to another edition of Eight More Miles, the Louisville Metro Council District 8 podcast. This is Councilman Brandon Cohn. We're recording on Friday morning, June 26th, and my guest today is Louisville attorney Lanita Baker. Lanita is an attorney at Sam Aguiar Injury Lawyers after serving as an assistant Jefferson County attorney for over six years. While at the Jefferson County Attorney's Office, she practiced in the Legislative Services Branch of the Civil Division and as a supervising prosecutor in the Criminal Division. A lifelong Louisvillian, she graduated from Ballard High School in 1999 with yours truly and attended the University of Louisville on a Porter Achiever Presidential Scholarship. After obtaining a Bachelor of Arts in Psychology with minors in Sociology and Pan-African Studies, Lanita continued her studies at the University of Louisville Brandeis School of Law. In 2017, she earned a master's degree in business administration with distinction from the University of Louisville College of Business. Lanita is the past president of the Charles W. Anderson Jr. Bar Association and serves as vice president for the National Bar Association, the nation's oldest and largest association of African-American lawyers and judges. She also served as chief of communications for the NBA, under the leadership of past president Benjamin L. Crump Esquire. Lanita is currently on the board of directors for the Louisville Bar Association, and she serves as an adjunct professor at the University of Louisville Brandeis School of Law. Lanita has received several awards for her service to the legal profession, including being named a top, a top 40 under 40 attorney by the National Bar Association in 2015, and the National Black Lawyers in 2017, and two National Black Association Presidential Awards. I'm also personally very proud to call her a friend and a former colleague. And so, Lanita, welcome and thank you for being on the show this morning. Thank you for having me, Brandon. I look forward to it. Yeah. Um, I think, obviously, Lanita, you have sort of skyrocketed to instant recognition, you know, if not fame, I don't know what the right word is, uh, but repute here in town and across the country because you are representing, is it, uh, is it the estate of Brianna Taylor or is it Brianna Taylor's mother? Who is your client in the Brianna Taylor case? Yeah, the estate of Brianna Taylor is my actual client. And her mom okay. is the and administratrix for the estate. Okay. Um, I know that everyone, anyone listening to this podcast is familiar, at least with the general contours of the Brianna Taylor case. And we want to talk a little bit about that this morning. But first, um, how is uh, Ms. Palmer and um, and the rest of Brianna's family doing these days? Uh, they're they're coping and managing. They're um, adjusting to a life of being, you know, in a spotlight. That they were, you know, very private individual, uh, private individuals, a close knit family, um, and they definitely appreciate the support of so many. But it's also an adjustment to adjustment to get. Um, used to, you know, so many people wanting to to talk to, uh, like media and, and things like that. So um, they're adjusting, uh, as well as, you know, still coping with the loss of, of Brianna um, and talking to the family. Brianna really was kind of the, the tie of the family. Uh, she loved having game night, um, just bringing family together for, for different, uh, random, let's have dinner all together at someone's house. Um, so she, she, you know, and, and, you know, you can even see it in her picture. She's just like that bubbly personality that everyone loved being yeah. around. So, um, yeah, I, I read it. There's obviously been a lot written about Brianna and her family in this case. And I read a, an article on the ringer.com 
a couple days ago. I don't know if you read that one or not, but it really painted a portrait of Brianna and her mother and their family uh, and really helped sort of um, pierce through the, you know, the superficial level that we're seeing on TV and in the media every day to it really describe their family life and their history. And it was a really beautiful article, I thought. Did you happen to catch that one? I did. Yeah, I did. They did a really good yeah. job. Um, well, um, so you're obviously an attorney for the estate of Brianna Taylor. I'm a member of the Louisville Metro Council, which is part of the Louisville Metro government. I guess that means technically we are adverse because you all have filed a civil complaint in, in what court would you remind me in, in, in with Jefferson relation to Circuit this case? Court, yeah, it's in Jefferson okay. Circuit Court um, Division 9. Right. And so obviously, you know, we can we can talk at a certain level about certain details and, you know, there's other details of the case and then other details of the general circumstances going on surrounding everything from the firing of the one police officer that I guess I'm restricted from talking about in some sense, but we'll try to talk sort of as openly and honestly about what's going on so that people can understand uh, as much as possible. Can you tell people a little bit about the actual civil case that you have filed and what, what your claims are and what the status is? Yeah, um, so we filed the lawsuit in um, April, towards the end of April. Of course, had to you know work on getting the, the estate set up um, with the restrictions uh, in courts with COVID-19. So we filed towards the end of April uh, our claims are, are primarily assault, battery, and um, um, wrongful death um, due to the officers um, and, and negligence, their the reckless actions. Um, one of the things when, when Sam and I went to inspect the apartment of Brianna Taylor, the first thing you notice is, you know, just the array of um, bullet holes and fragments and you know, seeing that they went, you know, through the ceilings into into other apartments, and and that they were coming through blinds that uh, were, you know, the patio door uh, had been shot out. Um, it was covered with blinds and curtains. A bedroom window was shot out, covered also with blinds and curtains. So when you see things like that, you just no one should be shooting that blindly in any scenario, let alone law enforcement that is trained um, and, and and to know that this search warrant was a, it was part of a narcotics investigation no drugs is, is that you could secure and again no drugs were found in Brianna's home no drugs were in in her home no money was um, tied to drugs in her home um, so you know she, she wasn't involved in it but it was part of a larger investigation but no amount of drugs that you can recover would justify that amount of gunfire into any apartment as well as neighboring apartments. Because, and when I say the apartments in, in, in Brianna's building, there's eight separate units. Mm -hmm. um, and she lived in the front of the unit. There's only one way into her home. So it's not like they could have ran out, you know, anywhere. Um, and her windows faced the front you know, parking lot. So there's an apartment on the back of hers. And that's where we're saying bullets went straight through her apartment into, you know, an apartment where a five-year-old slept mm -hmm. uh, and his mom. And then also into the ceiling 
uh, of the ab apartment above Brianna, um, it's just, there is, you know, you, I guess the way to describe the apartments, if you haven't seen them, it, you know, it has the common area open. It's open outside. There's no hallway, um, but it's open outside, four doors on the front, you know, two facing each other, two on the back, and then, you know, that same layout upstairs. Um, yeah. So. Um, well, again, I've, I'm supposed to try to restrain giving my own yeah. editorial but you're talking about some of the some of the facts, the hard facts that are actually detailed in interim yes. police chief uh, Robert Schroeder's termination letter for for Detective Hankins. And so uh, some of those facts can be um, read by people that are interested. And of course, there's been a lot of photojournalism and other reporting that pe people can get a pretty complete picture of what you're talking about. Can you help us understand the the status of the of the civil case? Have have attorneys for the defendants filed answers? Is everything um, being held either because of the coronavirus or how, how, how might the civil case relate to any potential criminal prosecution in terms of just sort of the basic procedure so people understand that? So the criminal, um, not the criminal, the civil case is still in the beginning stages. Uh, outside counsel and, and what that means, and, and you, you know, Brandon, but the Jer typically the Jefferson County Attorney's Office is always going to be the, the first uh, line of defense for these cases with there being um, multiple officers involved and then, you know, some extenuating circumstances. These have been referred to outside counsel. Um, we've met with outside counsel just to discuss. Um, I know there was some subpoena requests and, and some issues with that. Um, so we're you know, working on a timeline to, to get documents, some that should have already been uh, turned over. Um, and then, you know, others just to work with the city in a, a good timeline that, that is reasonable for them to get to, to provide those. So we are um, working on those. In terms of an answer, um, there, um, there has been an extension given to file an answer um and, and so you know we're still at the we filed the complaint uh we've we've issued some subpoenas um i got you very early on. and so just, and just to repeat so that people understand so the jefferson county attorney's office is representing some of the defendants in this case because the law requires them to right Correct. So that's why okay um people um that are observing this case that are just lay people they're not lawyers um, I sort of have conflated or, or sometimes bundle the employment decision that the mayor or the police chief have made, whether to fire or suspend or retain or otherwise deal with these police officers versus the criminal prosecution versus any civil liability. A lot of that, you know, sort of mixes up in people's minds. It's hard for them to separate and understand exactly what the, what the distinction is. Yeah. Um, you know, from the Metro Council, um, I mean, I can, you know, I, I guess I'm not supposed to comment on some of the employment decisions that have been made, although I think I've been pretty clear about what I think should be done in the cases of the, the officers. The Metro Council has also tried to take action. Um, a lot of it is, you know, um, sort of soft power to try to demand that all case files from Louisville Metro government be delivered to the state attorney general and and other prosecutors in as expedited a fashion as possible so that 
whatever prosecutions follow when you apply the when you apply the law to the facts uh, it happened quickly. Yeah. Um, as a and and you know people people have varying opinions. You hear people say fire the officers. You hear people say charge them with murder. You hear people say all sorts of things in between. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously, any criminal charges, you know, there's strict definitions about what constitute different criminal violations based on intent and degree and that sort of thing. Uh, do you have any? And you are you're a former prosecutor, as I yes. noted in the in the in the criminal division. What is your opinion of the appropriate and likely sort of uh, potential criminal prosecution of any of the officers involved? I think that um, in at a minimum with the the letter that we saw uh, from uh, Chief Sh- interim Chief Schroeder that uh, there's enough for won't murder um, and, and that goes with the reckless behavior um, in Brett Hankinson's letter it discusses ten shots but uh, you know we counted upwards of thirty two um, bullet holes. Um, so we know mm-hmm. that, you know, there, there were many more shots fired. And, and if they see 10 as being reckless, I don't see how you could see that, you know, those other 22 are not. Uh, we also have, you know, with the post inspector um, denying allegations and that, that Joshua James included in that, self, uh, in that search warrant affidavit, uh, you know, that was a sworn affidavit presented to a judge um, at a minimum that that's perjury. Um, um, on on that end, um, mm-hmm. and what's passed from that. Um, so, wanting, uh, and I think wanting endangerment for the other the apartments that were shot into, um, if not all of the apartments in that building. Um, mm-hmm. um, what what so, role, I guess? But those I'm are at the up. in the hand. Yeah, those are in the hands of the Kentucky attorney. The charges, criminal charges are definitely 100% in the hands of the Attorney General at this point. Um, okay. Tom Wine recused himself, and uh, once he recused himself, um, Daniel Cameron could have referred it to a different um, prosecuting office um, to, you know, to, to, in regard to the conflict of interest. However, he chose that he said his office will, will keep, the, um, keep it themselves. So it is solely within his office's purview of um, presenting a case to the grand, to, to the grand jury. Right. And there's been some confusion and some he said, he said about whether or not the attorney general has all the information he needs to take action. And uh, he's come out and, and spoken about that. And I think, you know, he's tried to assure people that his office is taking the case seriously and working as quickly as possible and will do a thorough job. Do you have any new information about timeline or are you sort of watching on TV just like everybody else? Uh, I'm kind of watching on TV just like everyone else. So the last thing, you know, he said is that he's getting increments of the foul, uh, but not the full foul. I think uh, at least in terms of um, interim interim chief Schroeder's uh, termination letter to Brett Hankinson, he uh, indicated that he reviewed the PIU foul. So I don't know if it's a situation of, of, uh, and I'm not going to speculate. I just don't know if it's a situation of PIU feels it's a complete foul and Daniel Cameron feels it's not a, it, that it's an incomplete foul 
Um, my understanding mm -hmm. is he's going to do an independent investigation himself. I do also know and, and can confirm that the FBI is doing a, 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 its own internal investigation as well. Um, they are working uh, or, or being open with the Attorney General's office in that regard, but um, I, I do know and, and wholeheartedly feel, you know, based on, on my conversation, on our conversation um, with the FBI that this is a top priority, this case is a top priority for the FBI at this point. I know that um, Brianna's family has some demands or had some demands. There's also other groups and, and you know, uh, people who have, whether it's sort of uh, certain protesting groups or other groups who have issued their own demands to, to the city, to the state, to all sorts of different authority figures. And I don't want to mix those up. Right. Can you tell me a little bit more specifically? And I don't, obviously this is unrelated to the actual civil case you're filed. Right, right. Can you help help me understand what are the demands that Brianna Taylor's family has issued and who have you issued them to and sort of what's the status? And of course, I want to know specifically, is there something else that you all have asked this Metro Council to do that we have not done yet? Um, part of the, uh, the, the primary demands were definitely holding the officers accountable, uh, the officers responsible for Brianna's death accountable. That's by and is that to fire them specifically. Yeah, fire them and charge appropriately. Uh, present it to a grand jury. Uh, so that portion, and again, that's outside of the purview of Metro Council. Um, we did want we said ban no knock warrants. Metro Council stepped up to the plate, got that done really quick. Um, and, and a lot of uh, what we um, in, in working with Tamika, it's more than just holding the officers accountable for Brianna's death. But also, we mm -hmm. want to do what we can to prevent this from happening to anyone else, uh, and to uh -huh. prevent, you know, various actions. So, you know, it's it's that police reform. Um, right. And, and I will say, like in our opinion, Metro Council has been stepping up to the plate. And I know um, there's the legislation currently, like, so Brianna's law passed. Um, there's current, uh, there's pending legislation, and I, I believe that people are working on additional legislations, um, mm -hmm. legislation to to help bring about reform. Um, yeah, I can. I mean, there's there's several new items filed and being worked on. I'm working on uh, at least one with Councilwoman Jessica Green. Yesterday at new business in our Metro Council meeting, I think we read into the record the ordinance that would require a drug and urinalysis for any officer that's involved in a um, in a force incident and also um, let's see the other one was uh, was uh, a piece of legislation in order to expedite and make more transparent these kinds of investigations and I, yeah. and I know there's other other policy changes that people are working on and being considered and that your former uh, legislative services branch is extremely busy right now. Yeah. Uh, I'll just go ahead and skip ahead. You know, yesterday was also the, the big budget vote, and yeah. that is something that's viewed as part of police reform. Um, you know, I've been, I was really a, sort of a lone voice advocating for the beginning of some meaningful changes in terms of the police operating budget yeah. and diverting some of those monies along with some of their responsibilities and their workload, not just taking money away, but sort of reallocating the work and the funding that underscores it to yeah. some other, um, some other, you know, community Resource. health and sort of social workers. 
Um, if you read the newspaper this morning, I did not have a lot of success over the past couple weeks. Uh, the budget passed uh, 24 to one with the loan descent being totally unrelated to the police to the policing budget. And in fact, I, I voted for the, the budget because there's a lot in it that I supported and because I thought that, you know, I've made my point and, yeah. um, and my goal going forward is to continue to be as productive as possible. And I, and I think that helps me with that. Yeah. Did you, did your, did, did Brianna's family have any specific demands in terms of um, the, the defunding the police issue? I know that certain groups had called for, you know, cutting a hundred million dollars or cutting $17 million or some number specifically, how did, what, what were you all, or what were they looking for? And do you or yeah. they have any sort of opinion about the changes that we ushered in yesterday? So there wasn't really anything that uh, we discussed um, in this regard. We saw the conversation being had um, and I, I can speak personally for myself and, and not on behalf of my client, if, if that's okay. Of course. So um, sure. statements are Lanita Baker, not for, you know, not for um, my client. Um, I, I think that there's, that the discussion needs to be had. And I do think that Louisville Metro police officers need to be paid significantly more. Um, it's a shame that, you know, we lose officers to other departments actually within our, within Metro, right? Um, I agree. Because they pay more. So I, I, I definitely want to say that, you know, up front. But I do think that when you say we have $190 million in the um, public safety or, or police budget, you know, we have to think about things with, we need better mental health services. You know, in, in working as a um, prosecutor, you know, when you would find someone deemed incompetent, you would ballot involuntary, in, involuntary hospitalization. They would go to, you know, UofL hospital and will be released within two hours. Doesn't mean they're not any more of a, a risk, you know, either to themselves or to others than they were two hours ago. It's just, you know, based in, in that medical, um, that quick medical observation that, you know, for some reason the doctor is choosing not to hold people. But we have to have a better system for when people are found incompetent. You know, what can we do? Like, we're, we right. really are just putting people right back out. So we need better, right. um, and we need better mental health services um, for people, you know, it, whether they're convicted. So even those not found incompetent. Um, but those who, who we know, there's a, a large portion of the criminal justice system is not because people are, are, are just bad human beings. It's because they, they suffer from drug, alcohol abuse, or mental health. We need to be able, we need to have more services available to treat people for those things so that they can, so that we can close the revolving door, you know, stop the revolving door. So, um, right. Not to mention homelessness and poverty and, exactly. you know. And the, the studies that show, yeah, less, there's less crime in thriving neighborhoods. Can we not reinvest in, you know, these, in, in our neighborhoods, especially, you know, in West Louisville, where you have so many dilapidated houses? Like, can we not reinvest in this community so people are proud of that community? You know, they have um, small businesses operating. They have, you know, grocery stores. Like, can we not... Uh, invest in these communities and, and because we know that thriving communities have less crime. Right. 
and you know there were some there were several really good investments and policy directives that were included in part of the budget yesterday i again i'm disappointed about sort of the the, the discussion about the police operating budget not just the final tally um, but, you know, there were some significant investments made in the budget with respect to affordable housing, with respect to vacant abandoned properties, community grocery, um, you know, small business relief, eviction relief. You know, there are some good things in there. The city is making some good decisions how to spend money, and that also includes a couple of at least significant um, police and law enforcement reforms. I, I, I know you were busy. I think, were you in Frankfurt yesterday? I was. Okay, so I was, you know, I was tied up with budget all yesterday, so I don't know anything <laughs> about Frankfurt other than, yeah. so I want to ask you about that too, but if you hadn't had a chance to really scour the budget, we were at least successful in redirecting almost $3 million in state and that, federal yeah. police forfeiture funds, which, you know, could have been spent on crowd control weapons and military style equipment and that sort of thing, and instead it's being directed to spend on the beginnings of some of that um, you know, non-police intervention and deflection work and also diversity and hiring programs and some other sort of training and untraining uh, that will be helpful. Uh, and also there's a really significant investment in the civilian review board and with enough of a budget to actually have an office of inspector general. We funded that to the tune of $763,500, which is That's awesome. the entire budget of Metro's Office of Internal Audit. So that's I will a say I did, that was yeah. that is one of the demands that I left off. We did like independent investigations uh, and, yeah. prosecu and prosecuting, uh, and I, I don't, yeah. you know, I, I just think it, it's it's much needed, you know, in um, Atlanta where we've seen you know some quick charging. They have a prosecuting unit that's solely directed to. Is pub their public integrity unit. So it's solely devoted to cases like this. So it's not a prosecutor who's also worried about, oh, I need, you know, officers to get my next conviction, you know, the conviction that I have or the trial that I have next week, you know, so um, right. they, they work so hand in hand that you need someone who doesn't have to have that type of relationship. And then inspector general, like we feel like anyone that is um, the, and again, I was a prosecutor for a long time. I worked with, you know, Louisville Metro police officers um, day in, day out, and 98% of them, 99% of them are great. But mm -hmm. we also have a system where um, people are being promoted into PIU, and then they're in a situation to where they're forced to investigate their former partners. Yeah. Or, you know, um, their spouses are in PIU. It's it's just, um, yeah, it's too commingled. So we need outside investigators coming from different departments. Uh, you, you know, I, I do think there's some value in having, um, you know, police experience, police and experience uh, on that investigating body. But I don't think that it, it, it should be people that are just promoted or appointed, because I believe those are appointed positions in LMPD, appointed yeah. uh, from the ranks. It, it, seemed, it seems like the investments and the progress we're making in police accountability and some of the other changes, you know, obviously the mayor is looking for a new chief. They're undertaking this quote unquote top to bottom review. Um, it seems like some of that 
kind of stuff is changing maybe quicker than the, you know, just the final line item police budget. And that's something to maybe be hopeful about and to view some progress there. Yeah. Um, let me ask you before I sort of move on to a, a different subject. You know, you are uh, Brianna Taylor's family's attorney. Mm -hmm. And that is probably your primary hat that you're wearing these days mm -hmm. in the world that we're living in. You're obviously also a black woman, a mother, a an activist and a, and a protester in your own personal and private sense. Uh, just like sort of like my my first role is as a city council person. I'm I'm filling a role and trying to do what I think I can do in that respect. I wanted to get your take on the activists, the protesters, the people on the street whose demands might be something more than you than your clients' demands, mm -hmm. uh, or something more than what I've tried to demand or propose. People that are really pushing the envelope and making sure that the fundamental issues that the city and the country are grappling with are front and center. Do you have, you know, what what is, what's um, the relationship between your clients and I'll just I'll just call them the the protesters, the people on the street. I know that's sort of a broad general term for them, but is it a close relationship? Is it distant? Is it a you know, what do you think about and feel about those people and what they're doing? So. Um... True activists and, and, and organizers, they've been doing this much longer than, um, you know, Brianna, uh, since Brianna, you know, passed away. So their agenda, they, they have a totally different agenda that's much uh, more beyond um, Brianna Taylor. You know, as, as a lawyer, my, my primary obligation and really sole obligation is to my client. I have a, a legal um, obligation, ethical obligation to my client, which is the estate. Sure. Right? Um, now, when I say we, we when I, I, there are times and, 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 and that's why earlier I made it clear, like, this is Lanita, you know, I'm beginning to develop more of a relationship with people and I, I do that like especially ones that I see that are, are that their intentions are true and genuine because I know that I have a knowledge that I can share you know a knowledge of the politics the the different levels of, of government and and how we can work you know with the with the Brianna's law it was second nature for me to say hey we you know they don't meet in in frankfurt to january but uh -huh. why can't we reach out to metro council because that's what i was doing right um, sure. so you know I, I work with them to to you know more strategize on best ways to get what they want to do but also making sure mm -hmm. they are aware of when they're asking for certain things, are you truly aware of what the consequences are, what you're asking, or are you asking the right, um, do you, are you issuing the, the, the correct demands to the right people? So right. That, that, those reminds, are the conversations that I have that are not a part of my representation of Brianna but a part of being a black woman that wants to see change, that knows we need change, and that has specialized knowledge in how we can get there. 
Right. It reminds me, and you know, it's really funny because the people that are the angriest at me are the people who think that I'm not doing enough. You know, it's not the people on the other side of the political spectrum who are sort of my natural different yeah. viewpoints. It's always the people who think you're not doing enough. It reminds me of when you and I worked together on the separation ordinance in January 2017, when you were still a county attorney. Probably the closest work we did together, it wasn't the only thing, but the closest and I'd say the hardest and the most important was yeah. when we passed and wrote the, we really co-authored this ordinance to, it had to do with the sanctuary city issues, yeah. you know, and, and I, yeah. you know, only, I think only other lawyers who are really paying attention will see how we were able to really thread the needle and avoid the wrath of the Justice Department, but still get through all of our policy objectives in terms of, you know, prohibiting police from essentially, uh, you know, being co-opted for federal immigration law purposes. And I'm, you know, I'm really, it's still to this day, one of the things I'm really the, the proudest of and really love and working with you on that. Yeah, but it and seemed that was like at the I time. Think, yeah, go ahead. Well, sorry. I was going to say, but it seemed like at the time, you know, it seemed like there was sort of a throng of people on the street who all they really wanted was a city council to pass a resolution saying we're a sanctuary city, and that yeah. would have made them happier than sort of the nitty gritty detailed ordinance that we passed that actually changed policy. Yeah, and it's really hard. You know, people, I think some people are disappointed by what we did, and it's hard to explain to them that, no, no, what we did really worked and really mattered. So, Because yeah. um, the resolution is actually, it's not binding. It's just saying, hey, right? Sure. Uh, but an ordinance, right, we can't, like Metro Council has the ability within limits to control certain operations in Louisville Metro. Uh, right. And I think what people don't understand is your, your Metro Council is still limited depending on what state and federal law is because you can't do anything that would be contrary to state or federal law. So it's right. you got to be clever and thread the needle sometime yeah. though. Exactly. Exactly what you were saying. So, um, yeah. And, and I do um, see that Metro council is, is working on that to the best that they can with the limitations that they have. And they're doing a very good job of, um, of getting things done here. Well, it's gotta be helpful, obviously for you to have such a close relationship with so many of us. Like yeah. I said, we went to high school together. You and Jessica Green are friends, you know, and we've worked with many of us over time. So that's, it's been yeah. really helpful in terms of, in terms of the communication. Um, we're getting, we're getting close on time here. So I don't want to keep you too long. I just wanted to talk, get a little personal for a, a few minutes. I was reading your blog. Is that what divaattorney.com is? You want to call it your blog it or your my blog. website? Or when I have time okay. to blog, I try to, yeah. <laughs> right, so divaattorney.com, you should check it out. And I read the post that you wrote about a month ago. I know you've been too busy then to write blog posts about how you, how you were feeling about what's going on in the world. And I just want to read, you sort of have this list of emotions, all the different ways that you're feeling, angry, anxious, conflicted, determined, hopeful. And one was heartbroken. And you said, as I talk to my client and internalize her pain, heartbroken. I have a 24-year-old daughter and cannot imagine how I could get by if this happened to her. Heartbroken as I listen to a young man on a 911 call pleading for help, not knowing that the very people that killed his best friend in life were the same people he thought would come to help. They didn't provide help, though. They arrested and charged him with attempted murder. And you talk about your daughter, and I read the piece in The Ringer, and it occurred to me that your daughter and 
and you and your relationship was similar to Tamika and Brianna in terms of just your ages and it seems how you talk about each other and are close. How have you been able to, you know, emotionally, um, you know, stay strong and healthy and hopeful, which was another thing you wrote about here, through everything you've been going to going through. It's obviously disorienting to go in such a short period of time from being, you know, a hardworking person who has lived um, a, a, a really good life to being somebody, like I said, though, who is on national TV all the time and whose life work is now front and center. Is that, I mean, how are you, how are you, how has, how is, how have your feelings changed in the months since your last blog post? Um, I, I'm still there. It's still a roller coaster of emotions. You know, sometimes I just think and, you know, I look and it, it's a sense of pride in, in looking at the change in them because I do think there's a transition happening. I hope that, you know, people don't get distracted when I, and I, I, I so with COVID-19, I always, I use this phrase of when we go back to the real world, you know, um, because we're, we're not in a full real world, world right now, you know, a lot of people are still working from home, no sports yet. Um, so, so those things So when we go back to the real world, I hope people, you know, still remember that we still have so much to work on and so much to change. And when we talk about change, I don't know, especially for both Sam and myself, we won't, our, we won't change for, for like, for it to be better for police officers and our city. You know, it's not one-sided. Um, and, and people who know me truly know that. Um, but it's, so, like, the, my, the, the support of friends, you know, the messages. Like, Brandon, I can't tell you the number of people from high school who have sent me messages. That, like, and just getting those, it, it lets me know that I'm doing the right thing, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, so when you get those, you know, words of support, it, it, it goes so far. Um, so keep those coming, guys, because it, it does. Oh, it's yeah. overwhelming. <laughs> well, they, they're going to listen to the podcast. I feel like we'll have a very good Ballard Bruin uh, listenership for this podcast. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, no, it is. It's, you know, honestly, it's really, I, I was going to say, you know, I, I bet you can, you know, reading the story that I read in The Ringer the other day, it was, you know, I was imagining myself as all the different family members and all the different people that were in, in the story. And I'm yeah. sure that sometimes you feel like, you feel like yourself, you feel like your daughter, you feel like Tamika, you feel like Brianna, because I'm sure you can, I'm sure you're feeling what all of these people that are involved in this are feeling yeah. at, at some point. And you have and, to, um, to, to really be that great advocate for them, you have to feel what they feel. And I'll tell you the, the biggest tragedy in, in all of this for me personally, not for, you know, the, the family, cause their tragedy is much bigger, but the biggest tragedy for me personally is that I never got to meet Brianna personally because like, right. she, she, I can just tell she was this awesome person and I would have loved to, to me. And then like when Tamika says things, Tamika Palmer says things about Brianna, I'm like, Oh, that was me when I was that age. You know what I mean? Like right. she's just very. Yes. Um, so it's just, you know. Because it, I think Tamika yeah. isn't Tamika three or four years older than us. Yeah, yeah. 
Okay, so, I mean, do you almost even feel like almost she has sort of a big sister relationship in a, in a little way that she's a few years older than you, or how would you describe that? Yeah, we've become really close, and I also found myself being very protective, um, uh -huh. especially when it comes, like, for, for media and um, and just people in general, but really media, because they, they, the one thing I've noticed is, and we love, like, we know the media attention is necessary, but sometimes they don't get, Tamika still works. They're like, oh, can she interview at eight in the morning? I'm like, no, she works. Well, can she get off? Yeah. I'm like, no, she works in a, in a medical setting. Like, she does dialysis. Like, she has to be there to help her patients. And knowing right. that that's wow. the, the, the sense of, that's like, Tamika says, like, that's the one sense of normalcy that I still have. And I, I'm, I, that, that's what I'm going to do. Like, I go to work and it's normal. I get to escape a little bit. So, you know, I'm definitely not going to intrude upon that time on her. So, you know, I have yeah. gotten to where I have to be really, like, I don't, I, you know, we, we will interview with you, but it's on her top because she's already yeah. been ACD. So I become this protector, although it, but we are, we, we say that all the time, like we become, I, I'm one of their, they have a large family. So I'm one of the sisters now. Uh. That's good. That's great. <laughs> yeah. um, just sort of a kind of closing volley here. Um, when Ben Crump, your co-counsel in um, this case, came and you all spoke to the Metro Council before we passed Brianna's law. Uh, anyone that was listening can hear his effusive praise for you. He said, oh, you know, Kentucky, you don't know what you've got down here with Attorney Baker. You, you know, and uh, rightfully so. It's due praise. Any, you know, anybody that knows you and can see your work, you deserve every, every accolade that he says. Uh, but, you know, Mr. Crump is obviously a very high profile national attorney. He's representing the families of George Floyd, Maude Arbery, and, and others, not, not just Breonna Taylor. He's a, a preeminent face and voice in, in, in America and in uh, American justice right now. And, yeah. you know, he's, he's signaling that you are too, and you should be too. And I agree with him a hundred percent. And I'm wondering if, this experience, are you thinking about your future in terms of, I mean, I remember when you left the, the county attorney's office to go practice uh, at the firm you're at now, which are injury lawyers. Are you thinking about, you want to uh, really focus more in the future on big national civil rights issues? Has this experience made you uh, want to be more involved in politics or anything else, or are you um, you know, happy doing the work that you're doing, how, you know, how your perspective has must change a little bit here. Yeah. So nationally, I'm good practicing law right here in Louisville, like born and raised here. This is where I want to, to work on, um, um, where, you know, I really want to, I, I want to, like if, if Louisville and Kentucky, if we are at the forefront of, this discussion and change and we're showing people this is how you change that yeah. is um that that's that's good for me on that level now there are times you like say, i sit and think um you asked about politics and i sit and think and i'm like hmm, i don't know it, it's 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 yeah. in the back of my head but i haven't gone full-blown like 
I'm going to jump into it. It's in the back of my head. Yeah, I've, I've suggested to you in the past that you would be good, that you would be good for it. I was going to say I, on the same blog post, you talk about being determined to change my city and state nationally if I can, but definitely starting at home first. Yeah. So, yep. Well, um, Lenita, I, we are running out of time. I know you're extremely busy. Uh, I really want to thank you. Could have never imagined uh, 20 years ago that we would be doing a podcast like this. I know. Uh, obviously, obviously none of this existed 20 years ago, but um, I just want to wish you the best of luck. And on behalf of all of our classmates and so many people in the city, how proud we are of you and how important your work is. And I want to thank you again for being on the show. Well, I, I, I return the, the thank you for everything that you do, Brandon. I don't know you're not running for re-election, but we look forward to seeing so many big things come from you as well. So I look forward to working with you in the future. All right. Sounds good. Lenita Baker. Thank you. Thanks for listening to 8 More Miles, the Louisville Metro Council District 8 podcast. I'm Councilman Brandon Cohn. Please stay in touch with our office. Visit our website at www.tinyurl.com slash cmconed8. And once you're there, please subscribe and stay informed to receive our bi-weekly e-newsletter.